Many of us have been reading through some of the Psalms over the past two weeks. If you don't know, we've mentioned this before, but uh, I write a short devotional every day, Monday through Friday, uh, usually on a chapter of the Bible. Normally, we're reading through a book of the Bible, and so for each chapter, I'll, I'll give some commentary, a, a little devotion about that chapter. With the book of Psalms, because it's so large, it's 150 chapters, so we're taking 10 or 15 chapters at a time, and then we're reading another book, and then we'll come back to the Psalms. But for the past two weeks, we've been reading Psalm 90 through tomorrow. We'll be at Psalm 100, if you want to jump in and read along with us. Again, I provide a little devotional on the church Facebook page. One of the things about the Psalms is, and you may already know this, there are several different types of Psalms. They're not all the same. Uh, As you may know, the Psalms were songs, they were prayers, they were confessions, um, they were sometimes read, sometimes sung in corporate worship. Uh, for the Hebrew children, the Israelites, and the Old Testament and, and, and New Testament in their worship. So, since they're songs, much like music today, there's different styles, right? So, we, we have uh, pop and heavy metal and uh, R&B and country and smooth jazz and a whole bunch of other styles of music. Just like there's probably no agreement on how many different styles of music there are today or exactly what we should call them. The same is true when it comes to the types of psalms in the Old Testament. If you study it, you'll find uh, one person believes there's three different types of psalms and another person thinks there's five different types of psalms and another person thinks there's 20 different types of psalms. Almost all of them, though, include this particular type of psalm that we're going to talk about today. It's called a, a psalm of lament, and it is what it sounds like. It's a song or a prayer or a confession where the author is lamenting. He's sorrowful, grieving, hurt, broken, angry, all of those heavy emotions. The author is feeling those, and so he puts them in the form of a song, or puts them in the, in the form of a prayer. There are community laments, which were meant to express the sorrow of the whole nation, And then there are individual laments, which were just the expression of one individual person. They were having a difficult day or a difficult week, so it was their expression. Then there's a type of lament called imprecatory psalm, which was when the author got really, really angry and began to ask God to commit all sorts of sadistic acts against their enemies. So if you have an enemy, if there's somebody you don't like, you may want to check those out and start praying those because they say things like, crush their teeth, break all their bones, okay? If you've ever felt that about somebody, so did the psalmist, and they wrote them out. So these psalms of lament, they're they're a way of getting emotion out, they're a way of venting. I think one of the great values of the Psalms of Lament is to remind us that it's okay to not always be okay. When we read these particular Psalms, they're in the Bible. God recorded them and has sustained them, protected them for thousands of years so that we would have them. And part of the message is, it's okay if you're not always okay because the people in the Bible weren't always okay either. 
They were sometimes very angry. They were sometimes hurt. They were sometimes grieving. They were sometimes sorrowful. Uh, the song that uh, Zach and the band just played, that was a psalm of lament. It was based on Psalm 13. You can go back and read Psalm 13. But the words uh, were the psalmist lamenting, grieving, where are you, God? Why aren't you showing up? I can't find you anywhere. It's actually written by David. If you remember David, the king of Israel, David wrote Psalm 13 as a lament to God. And I'm pretty sure somewhere in heaven this morning, somebody went up to David and said, how come you never played that song like Zach did? Because that was good, right? That was awesome. That psalm ends with... I'm, I'm waiting on you, Lord. I'm, I'm waiting on your unfailing love. There, there's kind of a turn back to God. And most of the Psalms of Lament have that. They have a moment of recognition that, yes, what I'm experiencing is difficult, but I still trust in God. And whether they make that turn or not, they give great opportunity to, to vent our feelings. We're in this series, finishing up today, called The Unexpected, about when life takes a sudden turn in our life. Something comes out of the blue. There's some unexpected news. And it's often in those times of, of unexpected that we just need to get some things out. One of the things the Psalms of Lament help us with is they teach us to be honest about our feelings. Because the authors of these psalms were very painfully honest. This is the way I feel. And it wasn't so much a judgment of, is this a right feeling or a wrong? Should I be feeling this or should I not be feeling this? There comes a point where you have to evaluate that. But evaluating it begins with just being honest about what we're feeling. This is really what's going on inside of me. I really am angry about this. I really don't understand this. I'm confused by this. I feel alone. I'm grieving because of this. And, and, and so the Psalms of Lament allowed the authors, and, and, and if we follow their example, they allow us just to get it out. That, that's part of the beauty of the Psalms of Lament is they give us freedom to not be okay, but they also give us freedom to say we're not okay, to say that we're hurting. Be honest about your feelings. A part of being honest about our feelings is identifying our feelings. Being willing to say, this is specifically what's going on in my heart. And uh, honestly, that can be difficult to do. Sometimes we have a hard time discerning exactly what it is, but also sometimes we're just not being honest with ourselves. Sometimes we don't want to admit, I'm mad. I'm angry. I feel like I've been let down by people or by God. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. Being honest about our feelings begin with correctly identifying our feelings, saying, this is what I'm feeling. Again, it, not a judgment of, I should be feeling this, I shouldn't be feeling, it's right to feel this, it's wrong to feel this. It begins with admitting that I am feeling this. I am angry, I am hurt, I am discouraged, I am depressed, I, 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 I do feel a sense of rejection. Whatever it is, Correctly identifying what's going on in our heart. The Psalms of Lament do that. 
Sort of the other side, the flip side of that is we want to be honest about our feelings and we want to correctly identify our feelings, but we also want to trust our faith. We don't want to let go of what we know and what we've trusted and what we believe because we're feeling something in the moment. Feelings, emotions, feelings are a good measurement, but they're not a real good master. If you're attuned to your emotions, you can probably say with me that I feel something sometimes very intensely, but that feeling doesn't lead me anywhere, or at least not anywhere good. Feelings don't give direction for this is the next step you could take. They just come and we feel them. They don't give us a path from there. That's where our trust in God our trust in our faith, our looking to God, our seeking His plans and His purposes for us come in. <clears throat> One of the problems with, um, with feelings is they change so much. They're like seasons. They come for a little while, and then we're going to feel something else a week from now or a month from now or six months from now. <clears throat> In some ways, this is a positive thing. In some, things, in some ways, we would probably say this is a very negative thing. Because when you feel joy or happiness, when you're content, when you're satisfied with your life, you want that to stay forever. I do too. You want to be in that season forever and ever and ever. And the, and the sort of the negative side is none of us stay in that season forever and ever and ever. Seasons change. But on the positive side, when I'm discouraged, when I'm depressed, when, when I'm angry, when I'm hurt, that season is going to change as well. Sometimes that can be the hardest thing to recognize when we're in, when we're in the unexpected, when we're in a difficult season of life, is convincing ourselves it's not always going to feel like it does right now. That's one of the things I say to people who are, are walking through tragedy or loss, especially if it's very fresh, if it's very new, if they just lost somebody that they care about, I often try to, to say to them, it's not always going to feel the way it does today. It's not going to go away. If you lose somebody you love, that's never going away. But it's not going to feel as intense as it does right now because feelings don't do that. Feelings come and then they go, they change, they get more intense, they soften. It's one of the reasons why feelings aren't a good guide for us. They're, they're not a good master for us because they are going to change. What's not going to change is truth and God's Word and God's will for our life and God's plan for our life. The fact that Emotions and feelings change. It, 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 it's, one of, it's one of the great difficulties, challenges for someone struggling with uh, mental health issues. Uh, it, it's, it's one of the great sorrows of suicide. Because those who remain, those who are left, know that you know, if, if they would have just waited and gotten up the next day, things might have looked differently. If they had just waited one more week, but they were in a moment where they thought, I am always going to feel this way, 
This is never going away. And so they saw that as their only out. And, and sometimes because of everything that's going on, it's almost uncontrollable for them to be able to view these emotions as passing. And, and let me just pause here and say if that's you, if you're struggling with some mental health issues, if you've considered harming yourself or harming somebody else, let us help you. We love you. We're not going to dismiss what you're going through. We're not going to minimize what you're going through. But we would love to connect you to somebody who could walk you through this because we want you around for a really long time and we love you. It's kind of an epidemic in our society. And part of that epidemic is that feeling that it's always going to be this way. And emotions don't do that. Emotions come into our lives. As I said, sometimes they're very intense they, they often reflect what's happening in a moment, but they don't reflect the true, what's going to be true for a lifetime. Emotions often reflect what's true for the moment, but they don't reflect what's going to be true for the lifetime. So, th- think of it this way. You and I need to feel what we feel, but we need to know what we know. When we're in the unexpected, when we're in challenging, difficult times, feel what you feel. That's real. No one should minimize that. No one should try to take that away. Feel what you feel. And if it's anger, then it's anger. And if it's hurt, then it's hurt. If you're not real sure what to do with it, then you're just not sure what to do with it. This is what I feel. Feel what you feel. But know what you know. Know that though your seasons are changing, we serve and follow a God that doesn't change. We follow a God whose love is unfailing, even if it doesn't feel that way right now. We follow a God who is with us, no matter what we're going through or how long we've been waiting or how much we've been struggling. Feel what you feel, yes, but know what you know. We celebrated high school graduates and uh, us old people. We remember what that was like a hundred years ago. And we know that they're transitioning to a a new season in their life and they're going to see things a little bit differently. They're going to meet new people and they're going to be in new circumstances and they're going to feel certain things in this new season. And they're going to have new feelings and different feelings. They're going to question some things and they're going to struggle with some things. And I would say to you graduates, feel what you feel, identify it, say, yeah, this is what I'm feeling, but know what you know. I mean, you got to this point because you know some things to be true. You know some bedrock truths about who God is and what God wants for you. Feel what you feel, but know what you know. And that goes for all of us. Now, with that sort of lengthy introduction, I want us to dive into a psalm of lament. And it's Psalm chapter 44. Psalm is a huge book right in the middle of the Bible. If you have your Bible, you just open to the middle. You're probably going to land in Psalm Psalm chapter 44, we don't really know what prompted this psalm. We don't know what was going on in this person's life. We don't know why they wrote it. We just know the content that he left us with. And here's how it starts, Psalm chapter 44, verse 1. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. So he starts by saying, our great-grandparents would tell us how good you are. We've heard for hundreds of years how faithful you were. We've talked to people who knew and saw you do incredible things 
God. It's been passed down generation after generation that you are God and you are holy and you are powerful and you set us free and you released us. We know that is true. Then he, then he shifts in verse 4 from the distant past to his life, to his own past. And he writes, we have heard it with our ears, O God. I'm sorry, you are my king. This is verse 4. You are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. So it wasn't just true for our great-grandparents and their grandparents and their grandparents. It wasn't just true for them. I've seen it. I've experienced it in my life. I've experienced how strong you are and how good you are. And how powerful you are. I've experienced your love. I've experienced your peace. I've experienced all of that. And then verse 9 is where it turns. But now. All of those things, they're great. I, I can't argue with all of those things. Our ancestors have told us, I've seen you do something. That's fine, but that was then this is now. And the psalmist is in the but now season of life. We called this uh, series uh, The Unexpected. We could have called it but now, right? Because all of us, at some point in our life, if you haven't already, you will. There will be moments when all of the good of the past is, has happened. And then like switching on a light, but now everything is different. But now I've got questions. But now there's pain. But now I don't understand. That was great. But I'm living now. And it's not great anymore. But, but now has this weight to it. Right? Maybe, maybe you're not sensing the weight. We, we had a great marriage but now, you were a great husband at one time, but now, when we first got married, you were the perfect wife, but now, you were a good dad, you were a good mom, but now, you, you used to be such a good friend, but now, I used to trust you, but now? See how but now changes everything? See, but now is layered with accusation, with hurt, with anger, with questioning, with disillusionment. In some ways, with hopelessness. That was great, but that was then. This is now, and it's not good anymore. But now, God. And some of us have lived through but nows. This is how he goes on in verse 9. But now, you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with your armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a penance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. Like anybody sense this guy's getting worked up a little bit? 
He's getting a little heated up. I, I sense that he's starting to point his finger. God, it was great back then, but now you're not doing this, and you haven't done this, and look at the situation that we're in, and I don't understand, and I don't get, and and, and it's almost like he argues one line, and then he thinks of another one, and argues, and then there's another one, and then there was another one, and all of these things are piling up in his life, which which is kind of the way grief is. If you've experienced it, you know that grief is not linear. I get it. There's five stages of grief. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was much smarter than I am. I'm sure there are five stages, but I've never known anyone who was in grief who just went one, two, three, four, five, and they were suddenly out of grief. Have you ever experienced grief that way? Have you ever experienced anger that way? Have you ever experienced heartache or tension? Where, okay, I just take a couple of steps and I'm out of it now. Grief. And heartache zigs and zags and doubles back on itself. And you, th- you think you're at step four and then you find you're back at two. And you think the sun's coming out and the clouds come back. That's where this guy is. And we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's driving this in his heart. But he's saying, God, that was then, this is now. He goes on to say in verse 17, All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If you haven't used the phrase haunt for jackals in a while, that's a great phrase. Like You should write that down. Haunt for jackals. Desolate barren. It's where the wolves and the fire, they're just scavenging. There's nothing left. It's just barren. God, that's what my life feels like. And it's it's not because I've disobeyed you. Did you see his argument? God, we haven't disobeyed you. We've kept our promise to you. We've done what we were supposed to do. He goes on in the next little section to say, if we had disobeyed you, you would have seen it. You'd know it. But we haven't. Why is this happening? Just wave after wave after wave of emotion and heartache and anger. And I don't get it. And I don't really think this is my fault. God, where are you? You were with me then. But this is now. He even says in verse 22, Yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's what it feels like where I'm living right now. And notice, God takes it. God takes the finger pointing and the yelling and the accusations and I don't know if I can trust you and what's going on. God takes it. I wouldn't take it. If you meet me in the hall and say, I used to like you, but now, and you give me a list like this, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to get defensive. I'm going to say, wait, you misunderstood something. That's not true. Then we're going to have words, right? Like right in the church, right out there. But not God. God says, 
Get it out. Let's go. Tell me. Tell. Be honest. Tell me. God just absorbs it. Some of the Psalms of Lament, as I mentioned, they make this wonderful turn back to God's faithfulness. They make this wonderful turn back to trusting God. But not this one. Listen to the way this ends. We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing. God, where are you? That's not the way it's supposed to end, right? There's supposed to be some positive thought at the end. There's supposed to be some, hey, it's all going to work out. You ever been to a movie or um, read a book? And in your mind, you know how it's supposed to end, right? They're supposed to get together. He's supposed to come back from war. They're going to find the cure, and he's going to be fine. But every once in a while, somebody writes a story, and it doesn't end that way. Everything doesn't match up at the end. There's not like some wonderful final moment. Saw a movie a long time ago. Uh, I was in seminary. My wife and I, we went to the movies with some other friends who were in seminary. We were all in seminary together. We are going to be pastors one day. We are going to work on church staff one day. So, so we all go to this movie, and it was before a lot of you were born. So um, don't complain about spoilers. All right? You've had 26 years to see this movie. So it's just not a spoiler after 26 years. We go see this movie. Anybody watch Summersby? Anybody ever seen Summersby with Richard Gere and Jodie Foster? Just me? Anybody? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know where this went. There's this great story. It's a great drama, and, and Richard Gere and Jodie Foster are awesome, and you're just sucked in. You're drawn in. And it has the most horrible ending of any movie I've ever watched, ever. And I like movies. I watch a ton of movies. And the credits roll. And I go, you have got to be kidding me. That's it? It really ended like that. And I remember to this day. We're walking out of the movie theater, and there's this other guy that I didn't really know well. He was friend of a friend, but he was studying to be a pastor, so he's trying to be spiritual. And he started making this analogy about Jesus and the end of the movie. And I wanted to go, shut up. That was awful. I can't believe I spent two hours to get to that. You are kidding me. And then... You start questioning everything else about the movie. If you've ever read, seen one of these movies, read one of these books, then you start questioning, well, maybe what he said back then wasn't really real. Like Maybe he didn't really. Of course he didn't. It's a movie. But still, in your mind, you're trying to make some sense of where this thing went. And if we're not careful, we'll do that in our life. But now comes, the unexpected comes, and it crushes, and it hurts, and we don't know what to do with it. And so, then we start looking back, and we start questioning everything that came before it. 
in, in life, here's what's going to happen. We're either going to define everything else about our life by that hard moment, by the but now moment, or we're going to define that unexpected moment by everything else we've seen in our life. We're going to take one of those two perspectives. When life gets heavy and hard, we're going to be tempted to define everything that happens in our life by that moment. We're going to say, well, I don't think God has been fair, and so he must not have ever been fair. I don't think God is with me, so he must not have ever been with me. I don't think God loves me because this is, so he must not have ever loved me. Or we're going to say, I don't, I don't understand this moment in my life. I don't, I don't want these emotions, but I've seen over and over again that God's with me and God loves me, and I'm not going to give up on that. As I'm waiting, I'm not going to let go of what I know. Yeah, I'm feeling some things. I'm going to feel what I feel, but I know some things to be absolutely true about my life. Now, Psalm 44 ends, and he's groveling in the ground, mad at God because he hasn't shown up. And that's the only ending we get for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years go by, and that's it. That's the end of the story, which is what our lives feel like sometimes, isn't it? It feels like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. What's the answer? I'm waiting. Hundreds of years go by, and then over in the New Testament, there's this guy named Paul who faced all kind of heartache and all kind of mistreatment, and all sorts of pain. We talked about him last week. He had some thorn in the flesh. He had something that was there, and it, it didn't go away. It was always there. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul is writing about suffering. And he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will, will be revealed in us. I know this hurts, but this is not the end of the story. And everything that is suffering right now, there'll be no comparison to the glory that we're going to experience one day. He, he goes on to write that we and creation, we groan sometimes because we want everything to be made right. We know that God's eventually going to make things right, and things aren't right right now. And so just inside of us, cries come out, emotions well up, because we want there to be a better answer. Creation itself wants there to be a better, knows that God is going to make all wrongs right one day, and we're longing for that day, and we want that day. And then Paul says this in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I don't like it. I don't understand it. I sometimes get angry and I'm hurt and I'm devastated sometimes, but... There's not anything that can happen to me in this life that will separate me from the love of Jesus ever, ever. 
And then interestingly, Paul grabs a line from chapter 44 in the Psalms. It's one we read just a minute ago. Paul says in verse 37, As it is written, and he's, now he's going back to the Psalms, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Hundreds of years ago there was this guy, and I, don't, I didn't know him, Paul saying. Like, I never met him, but I feel him. Like I get him. I see him. Because exactly what he said is what I've experienced too. It has been hard. It has been disappointing. It has weighed me down. I get what he's saying, but I'm not going to stop where he stopped. No. In all of these things, everything he wrote about, everything Paul's ever written about, any suffering that has been or will come, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul knew that it was hard, and we didn't always feel like adding it to the end, but Paul knew we don't need to stop where the psalmist stopped, because we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And then, and then Paul makes his own list. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, anything, anything else. What's going in, in your life could be put in this list. What you faced last week, you could put it in this list. What you're going to face next week, or next year, or five years from now, you could put it in this list. Anything else in all creation, Paul says will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. Does that answer all of our questions? No, it doesn't. Not in this life. Does it take away all of our emotion? Not always. Not always. But it guarantees that through Christ. We are more than conquerors no matter what we face. And there will never be a moment in the unexpected that I'm separated from the love of God, whether I feel it or not. Feel what you feel, but know what you know. Know that in Christ you are more than conquerors because of Christ's love for you. You are never abandoned. You are never alone. And he can take it. If you need to vent, just go at it. Point fingers. Get angry. Pour it out. Your God can handle it, and it's not going to change his love for you. We are more than conquerors. Through him who loves us. And one day, all of the suffering that we experience in this life, Paul says, it's not even going to compare. Like, you're not even going to think about it. And I know that's not altogether satisfying in this life, but it's still true, right? Feel what you feel, but know what you know. On the other side, it's just not going to look like it does right now. Because of the love of Jesus for us. Let's pray. God, we're like the psalmist, we're like Paul. I mean, we get these guys, we get it. 
We know what it's like to hurt, to question, to get angry, to be devastated. The unpredictable nature of grief and sorrow. But we know that it doesn't just end there. We know we don't just end in the dirt crying for help. Whatever's in our list today cannot separate us from the love of God. We are more than conquerors. For those who are walking through the unexpected, walking through the but now of their life, remind them today they're more than conquerors. And they are not separated from the love of Christ. Those who are going to enter into it next week or next month or next year. For we are more than conquerors. We are not separated from the love of Christ. Help us to feel what we feel, but God, help us to know what we know about your love for us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.